Oscar Combs here, and I want to put one rumor to rest, once and for all. The story is that Rafferty's goes all out for sports fans. And let me tell you, it's absolutely true. Confirmed. And fans love Rafferty's right back because the food is so terrific. Serve fresh, serve fast, serve friendly, lunch or dinner. Rafferty's menu is jam-packed with all your favorites. Steaks, prime rib, chicken, ribs, delicious dishes and generous sizes that really satisfy the appetite. So come hang with the sports crowd at Rafferty's. It's the tastiest place in town. Welcome to Conversations with Oscar Combs, presented by Rafferty's and Double Dog's Chow House. Episode 101, Part 2, we'll continue to look back at our guest, beginning with Episode 29 and taking you all the way up to our final guest of Oscars. I'm Bo Robinson, and Oscar and I are absolutely overwhelmed by the support of our guest and you, the Big Blue Nation. Our sincerest thanks to all of you for making this an enjoyable experience to be a part of. This project was started out of love for the University of Kentucky Athletics program, including the rich history of the basketball program, the need to tell the story of the football program, and it was our chance to bring more attention to those who deserved it throughout the years. And also, too, if it wasn't for the greatest fan base in the world, this would not have been possible. Being a part of this project with Oscar has been a blessing that will never be reproduced again. So, Oscar, when you listen to this, thank you for your friendship that's now going on 20 years and for asking me to be a part of conversations. It's been an unbelievable experience to sit next to my dear friend, but also somebody I consider the best mentor a UK fan could have. Oscar, as Coach Rupp once said, for those who have gone down the glory road with me, my eternal thanks. This is Conversations with Oscar Combs, presented by Rafferty's and Double Dog's Chow House. Episode 29 and 30, again, one of the great storytellers of Kentucky basketball, Mike Pratt. My buddy Mike Pratt from Dayton, Ohio. Uh, gosh, uh, this is 68, 69, and 70, and I'm out of school four or five years in, in Hazard. My heart was broken when Mike Casey wasn't able to come back after that tragic car accident in 69 and 70. That was, to me, the best team in Kentucky history, and it's just my opinion. There'll be others disagree. To me, that was the best team that never made it to a Final Four. Issel and Pratt and that whole crew, uh, minus Mike, they were so good. I thought I think they they I think they lost two games in twenty six and two, was their season record. Uh, lost to Jacksonville, and uh, that 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 was a pretty good team they lost to. But uh, Mike's one of the best. I love his work on radio with uh, with Ralph. Uh, Hope he keeps doing it for another at least 10 years or so. Uh, there's no bait bleeds blue or bleeds red, the good kind of reds, the Cincinnati reds, than Mike Pratt. And I'm, I'm just so happy to call him my buddy. Mike Pratt's been one of the best people I've ever worked with and he's so professional. And, again, great stories. Some of the stories I wish I could tell, but I'm going to keep those to myself. But one story he did tell – at the uh, end of that Mideast Regional in 1970 against Jacksonville State in Columbus was a meeting that Coach Rupp had in the locker room after that game. Episode 31, Judge John Adams. The judge, good friend of mine. Uh, he's retired here in Lexington. He was a, a circuit judge for many, many years. Come from Rising Sun, Indiana. A uh, place better noted the last few years for having a casino up there on the river, but he talked about growing up in Indiana, small school, uh, coming to Kentucky and playing, and uh, he, he sort of uh, uh, got in a situation here in between some of the great teams, but had a very good career, been a stalwart in the community here in Lexington, uh, j just a, a genuine guy who can tell you Adolph Rupp stories with the best of them. And uh, another one of these guys that may be unsung as far as being a star player, but his recollections of travels 
with a team and Rupp. Uh, they're, 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 they're just so, so terrific. Episode 32 featured author Tom Wallace, episode 32, and then we brought him back for episode 52, and uh, you guys really got into some history. Yes, uh, uh, Tom's a good friend of mine. He's uh, been a sports writer almost as long as I have. He was really, really tightly interwoven in the 90s with Rick Patino, He was sort of an insider with Rick. He worked with Kay Wood Ledford for a, a time. He was a sports writer uh, in western Kentucky for several papers. An old Central City boy. And he likes to talk about the state high school tournament and the days of Central City. Knows the old game back to the late 30s. Probably the one guy that I know that's still around that did research on – Kentucky basketball going back to the 20s and 30s, the All-Americans. And that's what we talked about on this podcast. It was a way to get someone to bring up some names of the past and some of their accomplishments that nobody else really knew about. And uh, Tom's still around here now. We get together occasionally. He's done a couple of encyclopedias that if you get on Google and see his name with Kentucky Basketball Encyclopedia and you really need a – Fill in a spot in your library, buy it, you'll enjoy it. Every couple of years, he does update that, and it is available on Amazon. The only person, the only guest disagreed with you and argued with you about a couple of things, and after it was all done, I hit stop. You all stuck around for about another 45 minutes and talked. I'm thinking, daggone, why didn't I hit record why y'all didn't know about it? Because <laughs> it was pretty entertaining. Episode 32 and 52, Tom Wallace. Episode 33 the father of Cameron Mills, Terry Mills. Yes, Terry's old school, and uh, I guess he old, old school because uh, Cameron's not exactly a pup anymore himself. No, he's not. But but uh, Terry was a throwback to the early Rupp, uh, or at least in the 50s days, and a great guard in his own right. Uh, sometimes uh, people for, forget some of those old-timers, but, boy, I can remember growing up and turning on the radio and listening to Kay Wood and it was always, all right, here's the opening tap. Kentucky's lined up. Kentucky's going to go from left to right on your radio. Right. Here's the tap. Abilene gets it over to so-and-so and so-and-so. And Terry was from eastern Kentucky and uh, had a very, very enjoyable career to, can, here at Kentucky and uh, just a wonderful podcast that when we tried to go back and pick some of these out, uh, I was – talking one day to Cameron, and I said, Cameron, would your dad be interested in doing a podcast? And he said, of course he would, of course he would. I said, I'd like to do one with him. And so uh, I asked him to give me a few things to ask him, but Terry uh, is, is just a throwback to the Billy Ray Lickerts and all those guys, the Johnny Coxes of that era. And, and each story is so unique, you know. You, you, you just got to sit down and, I mean, we're getting ready to go into the summer. You know, and if you got an hour, hour and a half to spend by yourself sitting out on the porch or, or something and don't want to have to turn on the idiot tube, yeah. I can't remember who, who identified TV to me one time many years ago, but they never, it was a radio guy, and he said, that's an idiot tube. It takes an idiot to have to look at something. Uh, but if you know, if you, you know, got an hour or two, listen to these podcasts with like Terry Mills, and I think you'll be rewarded. Episode 34, what I really wanted to do was just type episode 34-Baby Magic. Yes. Uh, Leroy Bird. Leroy Bird was, for people that were around in the mid to late 80s, he played here in Lexington. Um, I don't know where to put him at 5'2 or 5'6, but somewhere in between. He... He was called Baby Magic because of Magic Johnson's passing ability. Had a great career, I think, at Bryan Station. Went to UNLV, played under Jerry Tarkanian. Uh, comes back his second year, has a tremendous practice, their first practice, so much so that Tarkanian just chews him alive for scoring something like 25 points in a practice. You're trying to embarrass everybody. Well, the fact of the matter was – he had to leave and transfer to in that freshman year because that guy embarrassed in practice was Jerry Tarkanian's son, Danny, who was a really good player in his own right. But this is a story 
you have to listen to because going into it, I was going to talk about baby magic, about him coming back to Kentucky, playing in 85 and 86 uh, with Joe B. and then Eddie Sutton. And then he dropped the bomb on us. I'll leave it at that. Episode 35, 36, and 37, longtime sportscaster at WKYT, Rob Romley, recently retired. Wow, what a great guy. I mean, Rob is the epitome of the person I would like to be. Never offended anyone in his life. Mm -mm. Uh, Always the same demeanor, never too high, never too low, uh, easygoing, couldn't get rattled if you dropped a, a atomic bomb on him. Such an ultimate professional. Uh, came here in 78. He was a native of New York. Was a big baseball fan. Um, was doing a weekend news on a TV station in Lima, Ohio, when one of the employees at Channel 27 was traveling through there and turned on the news. I, I think the story was this guy had to stop because of bad weather and got him a motel room, turned on the news at 11 and watching Rob and took the station's name down and called him next and said, hey, we've got a, job, a position open down here at 27. Would you mind coming down and looking at it? And as you would say, the rest was history. Denny Treese had just left to go to Kansas City. He got the job, and now he's – just retired here and three wonderful episodes. If anybody who wants to go into media, journalism, television broadcasting, covering sports, then Rob Bromley, he's the one you want to listen to because he really gave some sound advice. Yeah, and, and, it, and it's all about being a professional with him. He's not going to pump anything too high or too low. He's, he's just going to, like I said, the ultimate professional. Episode 38, excuse me, episodes 38, 39, assistant coach Jim Hatfield under Joby Hall. Great guy. I mean, super guy, fun to be around with. He's always positive. Uh, he coached uh, on Joby's team uh, twice, once at the very beginning in 73, 74. Then he came back and he was on his staff the last two years. In between, he had several jobs. He coached at uh, Mississippi State. Uh, for three or four years as head coach there. Spent some time, uh, I think, down in the Bahamas at one time. And really good guy and a very good coach. How important was, you know, we talk about Rob Bromley, getting some of these guys, uh, Brooks Downing, Jim Hadfield, outside of actually playing for UK basketball, getting a little more insight to the program. Guys like Jim Hatfield and Rob Bromley, who we just talked about, how important was that to you? Well, it was very important because you know you get to see you get to see it from a different perspective. You get to see it from an outsider as a media person who also was on the inside lot because he did coaches shows. And with Hatfield, you got to see it from him as a competitor when he was at Mississippi State, and then when he was with them. And you know he talks about both of them. He talks about how when Kentucky came to Starkville. That was the game of the year. There was only two games that mattered in Starkville, and that's when the blue and red from Ole Miss came, when the blue and white from Kentucky came. Uh, Sonny Smith used to tell the story at Auburn. He said, I beat Alabama to keep my job. I beat Kentucky to get a raise. Episodes 40 and 41, he played for Coach Rupp, and eventually later on he had his hands in about everything Terry Mobley. Uh, was a terrific fundraiser for better than four or five decades at Kentucky after his playing days. Come from Harrisburg, tells great stories of his childhood. Hay came to Kentucky. Hay played with Cotton Nash. How he took the winning shot in a game in which the play was designed for not him but another player. Uh, but most of all, I, I got to tell the story here that how we uh, happened upon that podcast. Uh, Terry passed away here not too long ago, and he was uh, in hospice for a short time. And we had just done one of our more emotional podcasts with another player, uh, 
when I received the phone call from a friend of his and mine and said, Oscar, you need to do a podcast with Terry Mobley. And my reaction was, gosh, I'd love to, but I, I couldn't impose upon him at all at this time. And at the time, uh, it was known that with hospice in, it was anywhere from two days to three weeks. And and I told this, and he said, well, you don't understand. I think he'd want to do it. And I said, well, hey, if he asked me, I would be there in 15 minutes. But I, I can't, I can't, I can't indulge in imposing upon him, you know. And the next morning I get a phone call and says, uh, he wants to do it. Will you do it? And, of course, you and I were there that afternoon. And uh, probably, probably the most emotional that, that I've been, one of the two, in all that we did. And he enjoyed it so much, though, being able to say nice things about friends. And particularly in a situation here where the person that we were having a conversation with knew that he was just going to be here a very, very short time. And less than two weeks later, he left us. And when we walked out that day and finished up with Terry, he said, now, if you boys want some more, come on back tomorrow. Yes. That's how much he enjoyed it, and that's how much yes. it meant to him. Yes. I went back the next day and visited with him, not with you. I just wanted to, you know, go back and have a chat with him. And we had a very, very uh, pleasant conversation for about an hour. And I'm so blessed that I was able to have that time with him. Episodes 42, 43, and 44, Dick Hoops Weiss. I keep saying they don't get any better than this. Yeah. And then another guy. Hoops is awesome. Anybody that wants to hear a little history going all the way back to the 40s. I'm talking about college baseball total. Nobody has a better knowledge of every All-American ever played, every championships ever played, the different cultures of college baseball in various parts of the country. But to us, he uh, lived in Kentucky for a year, Rick Pitino's first year here. He has written books with Rick Pitino and John Calipari both. He has been as tight with Calipari as he was with Rick. Nobody can give you a better observation of what makes each of those two coaches tick than him. And he held nothing back. And if you remember this, Bo, these conversations with Hoops was before the big blow-up at Louisville. And yet he predicted what might happen going forward. He talked about Rick Pitino's last gesture leaving Rupp Arena. He talked about the uh, scandal that involved the prostitutes at Louisville. He talked about how that would have never happened to Rick if he were at Kentucky because too many people would know about it in Kentucky and he could not, it could not go on unknown. He talked about whether or not Rick could ever come back here and be recognized with favoritism. Uh, to me, if there's one basketball-wise of all these podcasts that I would – you laid them all out to me again, which one would you want to hear if you could, hear, could not hear any of the others? As it relates to Rick Pitino and John Calperi, that's the three right there. What I liked is we got outside Kentucky basketball a little bit, and he, may, he gave a wonderful history of basketball in Philadelphia – and all the colleges and the universities that surrounded the Palestria. Yes, the Palestria stories, and that, that's one of the great ones on my bucket list that probably 99% of Kentucky people don't even think of it as being a bucket list. But going in and watching Kentucky play VMI in the Palestria, or not VMI, Princeton in the Palestria in 1977 is one of my great all-time favorites. Episode 45, 1978 National Champion Jack Goosegivens. 
Two phrases. All you need to say. The goose is one. The most important recruit of the Joby Hall era. Second to none. The you you can say Sam Bowie, you can say Kenny Walker, but at the time in nineteen seventy four, and this is pre Leonard Hamilton, if Jack Gibbons does not come here, I think the script forward is totally rewritten in a different way. He meant more to the program giving and coming to Kentucky at the time he did. As a freshman, he took them to a Final Four. As a senior, he cut down the nets. That's all you need to say. Much love to Jack Goose Givens. Episodes 46 and 47, somebody who kind of laid the foundation for Jack Givens to come to Kentucky, Larry Johnson. Well, we had the first Kentucky African-American to graduate from UK, and that was, of course, Rachel Warford. Prior to him, you had Tom Payne, who was here his sophomore year and then Trent uh, quit and went – let me rephrase that. He came here as a freshman, did not play as a freshman, played on an AAU team because he didn't meet Prop 48, played as a sophomore, and then turned pro with Atlanta Hawks. Then you had Reggie Warford and then Larry Johnson, great, great defensive player, as likable as a human being as you'll ever, ever meet, has a smile and a laugh that never leaves his face. Um, you could really tell he enjoyed doing this with yes. you. And um, great, great person today. Uh, had Kentucky beaten North Carolina in 77, I think they could have won the title that year. Of all the locker rooms I've been in over the last 50-plus years, I've never seen a locker room as devastated as Larry Johnson and that team was in 77. Episodes 48 and 49, Walt McCombs. Great, great trainer. Was here almost 50 years. Uh, spent the uh, head trainer under Joe B. and Eddie. And then he went over to other sports at the university after the Eddie Sutton era. Just retired here a year or so ago after almost 50 years. Was always the player's best friend uh, with basketball. Uh, you can talk to any number of Olympic athletes here, and they'll tell you there's nobody quite like Walt McCombs. seems like every picture I look at or every book that I've looked at from the 70s and in the 80s, there's a picture of Walt McCombs. Absolutely. Multiple pictures of Walt McCombs popping up somewhere. Episodes 50 and 51, former baseball coach Keith Madison. Wow, my buddy. Came here in the late 70s on a part-time salary. Full-time coach, part-time salary, no university benefits. Took it uh, up to a different level than it had been. Competed uh, really, really strongly when you consider he had almost nothing to work with. It was like putting out a 10-story fire with a $10 Walmart water hose. And uh, always battling programs that had 50 times more to work with. But he stayed the course, and he's affected as many athletes' lives positively as anybody I know of. And just did a great job of what he had to work with. He's in the U.K. Athletics Hall of Fame, and deservedly so. And just a great, great person to visit with, great Great demeanor, very professional. Never did I ever think that when we wrapped up with Keith Madison that you and I would be having lunch with him one day. And if we could have sat there all day and talked to him, he would have been right there. Uh, episode 52, we talked about Tom Wallace. Episode 53 and 54, The Deuce, Tim Couch. The Deuce. Uh, pretty much was a savior of Kentucky football at a time it definitely needed one. Uh, Bill Curry had come here earlier and was having difficult time turning the program around that I don't think he understood the mountain that he had to climb. His first year here under Curry was pretty much a disaster. They were trying to put a square peg into a round hole with Elliot Uslak, the uh, offensive coordinator. But how Mummy come in, he had a couple great years. They went to the Outback Bowl. He become the uh, 
number one pick in the 1999 NFL draft. Uh, had it not been for him, I, I don't know how far behind the eight ball they would be today. But he's a great recruiter for them, good guy. He's uh, done very well since his playing days, and uh, he's over there doing everything he can to help Kentucky continue to build this program. Episodes 55 and 56 from the 1951 National Championship team, Guy Strong. Great guy, great name for old, old-timers. There's not many of them left now, but he played for Adolph Rupp when they won it in 50-51. A super athlete. Come from uh, Estill County, a place called Irvin. Uh, later went on and uh, was a great baseball player. Uh, played here, and he later went on and coached head basketball coach at EKU and then Oklahoma State. Can tell stories with the best of them. I mean, I, I, I imagine sitting down between him and Humsey Yeson, you probably couldn't get a word in edgewise. But great, great stories. Very, very interesting two episodes. Well, many thanks to uh, Guy Strong for uh, joining us on Conversations. He was just awesome to speak with. Episodes 57 and 58, a bittersweet moment with Roger Harden and Kenny Walker, and that came about shortly after the death of Brett Barrett. Yeah, that, that was during the period where we were uh, running a little bit tight on getting guests around and everything, and Brett Barrett suddenly died. And we'd been talking about some of the players that we had lost recently, being Melvin Turpin, being Mike Phillips, and then Brett Barrett. And we'd already done Roger and Kenny before. And they were around these guys. And we thought, hey, this would be a great time to bring them back together. And, boy, were they good in reminiscing. Uh, with those guys. And, of course, Charles Hurt was another one who had passed And f- to hear them talk about those three guys and what they meant, not only to the team but to their personal families, uh, was very heartwarming. It was very heartwarming, and they did share some fun stories. Episode 59, Doug Barnes. Eddie Sutton, assistant. Uh, Eddie's first year here. Uh, Doug uh, is a basketball coach from the old days in the uh, Arkansas, I think Arkansas State. Knows the game. Uh, been around Eddie Sutton many years. We talked a lot about the program under Eddie Sutton and Eddie Sutton the guy. And uh, Doug gives a different perspective of what it was to be both inside the program and then being outside the program. And I think you'll be very, very interested in listening to that. Episode 60 featured a man with a ponytail, probably the only one with a ponytail. We know that for a fact. And if you ever see him with a media credential on, it's John Wong. Well, John's a unique guy. I've seen him around for five or six years. Didn't get to know him very well up until the last couple years. Uh, But he's a retired orthodontist. I finally got out of him at his age 60. I quite frankly thought he was probably maybe 50 48 or 50. Uh, he's aged very well. And his title line is, I'm living my dream. Uh, had no idea of his past history, where he came from. He was born in China. His parents left China uh, when communism was about to take over. They moved to America. I think they went to Virginia first. And then they moved back to Lexington, where his father was a professor. And he grew up in local schools here. But his story is one that crosses many lines of humanity, from coming from a foreign country, uh, coming from a country that was about to be undertaken by communism, coming to America, what he appreciates about the freedom of America, and how Kentucky basketball and football has been interwoven into his life, even for the four or six years he was in the military. And now, and he's a great writer. I mean, you know, you think of a retired orthodontist, and what can he write? You know, what can a a writer go out and get inside your mouth and do good work? I don't think so, but he's a great writer. And he he takes a different perspective on things, and he's most noted for asking questions at U.K. press conferences with the coaches. And uh, something hits his mind, and he just sort of brings that light like, did he really ask that at this moment? And then the coach has to answer it, 
And then when you think, dang, that was a good question. I wouldn't have had to, you know what to ask that question. Uh, but he has great writings, and his story is one that I'm proud that we got to do with him and share it with Kentucky fans everywhere. Wong's Winings is what he calls uh, his website. Episodes 61 and 62, somebody that bleeds blue to the core, Jerry Hale. Oh, boy, Jerry Hale. Nothing like him. I mean, he's Mr. Wildcat, always fun, always pleasant to be around. Uh, played for both uh, Joe B. and Adolph. Um, just, just, just another one of the kids that make Kentucky basketball what it is today. Listen to him, and I think you'll agree. Episode 63 and 64, the current voice of the Cats, Tom Leach. Tom's old boy from uh, – grew up being a Kentucky fan, grew up over in Bourbon County. His dad used to bring him to games at Stolefield and Commonwealth Stadium. Knew early on he wanted to be a broadcaster, did a little bit of it in high school. Uh, came to work over for VLK. A fit into it, got right into the uh, mold of gravitating up to it. As professional as there is today, uh, he knows when to say something and when not to say something. And when he says something, you're going to believe him. Good friend, you'll like him too. Episode 65, 66, and 67, a man that had his hands in everything, including the chicken bucket, Governor John Y. Brown. Oh, boy. What a character. <laughs> what a character. I had fun doing these. I did. I really had fun. That's so much fun. And it took me so long to do it. Governor and I go back to um, early 70s and uh, got to know him then. And then I guess it was 77 78 when he ran for governor and won i think he took over in 79 he had rankled joe b in uh, 74 and 75 as they were nearing the completion of rough arena and he wanted to play the colonels some eight or ten games a year up here and joe didn't want to see the nba's taking any dollars away from uk and i can understand why louisville felt the same way when uh, they were down there and uh but he, he's more famously known for his clash with Fran Kersey, first getting him hired, loaning him his overcoat on a cold winter night when he was introduced, and then Fran Kersey wearing it the day he got fired as sort of a gig back at the governor and uh, how the governor wanted him fired so he could UK would hire George Allen as her coach. And then he forced Joe B. into the Louisville series but really unique perspective, and uh, I respect the governor a great deal. Uh, you know, uh, some of the stories he told, and he's a great success story. But, hey, talk about Kentucky football, and to this day he believes there's no reason why Kentucky football can't be Alabama football or LSU football or Georgia football. And he was very animated about that subject of why UK can't compete. Yes, uh, thoroughly enjoyed Governor John Y. Brown. Episode 68 and 69. Oscar, you have a great knack of pulling these Indiana boys. <laughs> Dennis Emery. Uh, great, great tennis coach. Of the of the Olympic sports programs in Kentucky, nobody has done a greater job than what Dennis Emery did. And he's had some really, really great pros here at Kentucky. Quigley was one of his last ones. Um, tremendous person, very personal, great fundraiser for the university. Even when he was coach, he was able to go out and raise money to do their tennis center. And early on, he had a good thing because his AD was Cliff Hagen, and Cliff was a big tennis player himself. But he still works for UK. But the stories that he's got about some of the donors that's helped over the years uh, are, are – and how – he was raising money for one thing, and Dr. Singletary, I believe it was, one of the presidents wanted something for else. And I, th I think it was Dr. Singletary, and I think it was Cliff Hagen that was afraid that if Dr. Singletary didn't get the money from, uh, I think it was Mr. Nutter. I can't remember where it was Nutter or where it was uh, Hillary Boone. 
and I think it was Hillary Boone. And the deal was, is uh, Cliff said something like, Dennis, if Dr. Singletary don't get that money for that faculty club, you're going to be in trouble, and I'm going to be in trouble. And I think they both got the money. I, I love the stories of the administration and how the players at San Bowie talked about this, how these players have interacted with Cliff Hagen and Dr. Otis Singletary. And I just thought that was a very unique aspect to what we did here with uh, our guest. Episode 70, 71, and 72, a very emotional podcast, uh, Mr. Irrelevant, Marty Moore. Marty, uh, one of my favorites of all time, went on played pros for several years, played with uh, the Patriots, played with the Browns. I think there was another team in there. But to hear his story from growing up in his days uh, with his father's relationship, his mother and father had, I think, divorced early on. And then when he made his final visit in with Belichick at the end of his career in New England, and he walked out of there for the last time, and his thought process driving home from there and what he had done to please his father. Good a story serious. Marty Moore was absolutely fantastic. I encourage everybody to take a listen to his story. Episode 73 and 74, not that this actually happened, but you kind of get this picture in your head that we were back in the corner at Rafferty's. They were closing up. We were the only ones in there. The lights were dim, and sitting across from us was Cotton Nash. That's the way this kind of came off, just as cool as the other side of the pillow. Well, Cotton's one that took me a long time to get him to agree to do it. <laughs> I called him several times, and finally, the last time, or at least, I said, I'm going to try one more time. Give it one more try. And I called him, and I did a little sweet talking, and I, I think I mentioned something to him. Well, Cotton, you ought to listen to the one I did with John Adams. To, to Just see how – and then he finally said, well, you know, Oscar, my grandkids and my kids, they've they been wanting me to put something on tape. If we could put this on tape, you know, I said, you got it. And uh, so he comes in and talks, and, and there was so much I didn't know about him. It's – shows you how you can learn things if you do it early enough. We would have never, I would have never known this if we hadn't done it, but he grew up a Yankees fan, which is no big deal. He was born and raised in New Jersey, and his father was a salesman that had to travel a lot and got moved around a lot. Never played any sport except baseball in New Jersey. And in junior high, he moved to, I think it's New Albany, Indiana. It's across the river in Louisville. And he got there and found out that if he's going to play a sport, he's going to have to be basketball because that's what they did there. And that makes sense. And then his dad got transferred again to Texas. And when he got down to Texas, he found out that in the spring he couldn't play baseball because in Texas he had set out a year. So his dad turns and goes over to Lake Charles, Louisiana, gets him a home so he can play immediately the next year. Well, and all the time we follow him in Kentucky, everybody says he's from Lake Charles, Louisiana. We thought he was just a Louisiana kid. We didn't know the backdrop. But then the other interesting thing about it, we found out that when he went to New Albany, Indiana, his high school coach was Cliff Barker. And I said, the Cliff Barker? And he said, the Cliff Barker, who taught him to play basketball. The guy that was shot down over Germany and played for the 48 champs. And then he talked about how he really loved was baseball. But he couldn't get a baseball scholarship, and his dad couldn't afford to send him to school. So he ends up getting a scholarship and playing for Adolph Rupp. You can listen to the rest of it, episode 73 and 74. One of the most humorous stories was the whole ticket incident between Cotton Nash and Coach Yes, Rupp. and you got to hear that because uh, had he not come up with four or six tickets for his family – Kentucky would not have beaten Duke in the Sugar Bowl tournament that year. You could not have scripted that any better. Uh, episodes 75 and 76, we get back to Kentucky football. Only appropriate to have this individual as a guest of yours, considering the current situation with Kentucky football and the recent success, Sonny Collins. One of the greatest running backs of all time in the SEC. Uh, flamboyant. 
He had a health issue early on in high school where he lost all of his hair. So he won an afro. And that got attention everywhere. He was a BMOC, big man on campus, left a year too early. His senior year in 75, things sort of fell about. Had he been a junior and had he been on that 76 Peach Bowl team, there's no telling how good Kentucky would have been and wouldn't have been playing in a Peach Bowl. They'd been playing in a New Year's Day Bowl. But his story is phenomenal. He came back and got his degree many years later. Please take the time and listen to episode 75 and 76. The most flamboyant player over basketball and football you've ever come across, Sonny Collins? Well, I don't want to say it real quick because I might forget something, but he's certainly <laughs> in the top five. When you asked him who his favorite entertainer was and he said James Brown, I about came out of my seat. And, uh, <laughs> well, you know, he had to think about that for a while. Yeah, he did, and and you saw my reaction. Uh, episode 77 and 78, we go back to basketball. We get into the tubby years with former manager DJ Geddes. DJ, he's the only guy that got five letters in basketball. And he got it because of his fourth year there, he's ready to graduate, or supposedly ready to graduate, and Bill Kiteley, the late Bill Kiteley, gets a list of all the managers that are senior because they get recognized on senior day just like the players and the band and everybody else does. And comes up to DJ and says, now, DJ, how you want to be listed here now? Are you from Nicholasville? He said, Mr. Kiteley, I'm not a senior. I'm not graduating. Well, why, why aren't you? Well, I didn't attend any classes this year. Well, how were you a manager? He said, well, I just showed up every day. He can tell you the rest on episode 77 and 78. Episode 79 and 80, one of the unsung heroes during the Patino years, especially that Final Four run between 96 and 97, Anthony Epps. Gosh. You know, when we talk about Kentucky kids growing up wanting to play just getting the play is such a cherished time in their life. But when you become a star, and you're not all America, but you're a star, and you know you're the glue that holds everything together, that was Anthony Epps. And years later, it passes on, and he has a daughter to play here. That is, I'm sorry, Anthony, I'm going to have to say this, but she topped your action. But... Great individual, a great role model today. Follow him on Twitter. He gets up with an inspirational tweet almost every morning. Um, just love Anthony Epps. Episodes 81 and 82, we kind of went away from basketball and football, went to the other side of the athletic administration, and longtime academic uh, advisor, Bob Bradley. Wow. Well, Bob, Bob is a guy that if you talk to all the former coaches at Kentucky from every sport, they'll tell you he's the most important man in that department. He runs or ran a crew that started out with just three of them, and it kept building over the years as it become more and more important for a coach not have to worry about Thanksgiving weekend that a kid was so far behind they can't make up by – the end of the semester, two weeks later. And uh, he, he retired last uh, spring, and they threw him a surprise retirement party. And I think they had over 100 former athletes to come back to it. That tells you all you want to know about Bob Bradley. In these two episodes, he takes you down and explains the kind of support both the athletes and the coaches gave him in doing his job. And just a remarkable accomplishment over four decades. If you didn't think an academic advisor had great stories, you're mistaken. Yes. Episodes 81 and 82 with Bob Bradley. Episodes 83, 84, and 85. Well, you cut a live wire on this one. <laughs> well, one of my regrets in this is that I couldn't counter this one with a basketball one, given what all has happened in the last three months in basketball. But, but Ben Oldham introduced me to a side. I thought I knew uh, at least as much as the average fan about the rules of football. 
and the interpretation of rules, the do's and the don'ts and everything. I knew nothing. But Ben brought them all to light in such a fun way. He did. I mean, you know, you're like, wow, I didn't know that. I didn't. And he, he would talk about how he would talk to players in the game while he was calling them, how he would talk to coaches on the sideline. And and one of them was, son, you got away with that. But guess what? If they've been about over here, you've been flagged. Next time, you'll get flagged. And how he would talk about if – there was a hole on the opposite side of the field from where the ball was at, and it affected the play in no way. He would hold it. But if it affected the play, it got thrown. Uh, you definitely want to listen to Ben Oldham talk about calling all the big games. The day that he called uh, incomplete pass in the end zone in Knoxville, Tennessee, and nobody else saw it, nobody except him. And they boot him out, including his own son. And then the Monday morning after that, he gets a call from Johnny Majors and says, Ben, you were right. He dropped the ball. And there's a great story in there, too, about uh, the Rose Bowl and yes. uh, how his wife got involved in yes. that. Those are episodes 83, 84, and 85, Ben Oldham. Episodes 86, 87, and 88, continuing with football, Derek Ramsey. The Ram. Mastermind of the 77 team. All, if you needed three yards or less, you didn't risk him holding it off. You'd just say, hunker down, boys. I'm coming behind you. And he picked it up. A great athlete, a great role model, doing very well today as a uh, employee of the state. Just a tremendous all-around person, good friend. You will love him talking about his recruitment from Bo Schembechler to Joe Paterno. You will love listening to him speaking to Joe Paterno after two Kentucky wins in 76 and 77. And he asked Joe Paul, do you still think I can't play quarterback at Penn State? Just don't pass these two up. You'll regret it, or three, if you don't listen. And here's a little behind-the-scenes story. You and I kind of uh, co-conspired to have this towards the end of 2018 going into 2019 because of the fact that currently the Kentucky football team was getting ready to take on Penn State that is in right. the Orange Bowl. So a little trickery there on the part of Oscar. And, I, and of course, what I liked about Derek Ramsey was uh, his story with uh, Happy Chandler. Those were great. Episodes 89 and 90, a great friend of mine, a great friend of yours, Mike Dotson. Mike uh, is a local boy, went to school at UK, got into uh, campus radio with Brooks Downing, and uh, eventually got on with the UK Network and Jim Host, moved up very quickly in Jim Host's organization where he was director of broadcasting, uh, ran all the production, did scheduling, and has been doing it on a national schedule, I think, for Learfield IMG now. I think they just recently merged. But always on top of things in March Madness, he was always involved in handling the contracts with all the stations around the country. And he actually got to know the feel of March Madness like two to three years before it was released on TV. And uh, but really knows it, man. And you really enjoy some of the things he talks about as it relates to Kentucky. If you ever wanted to talk to somebody who had a great feel, a, a great handle on the landscape of March Madness and the seedings going into March, uh, Mike Dotson is your man. And I worked for Mike for many years on the uh, UK network, and uh, he really taught me how to look and listen to radio a whole lot differently and uh my thanks to mike dodson for uh, being a great mentor in the radio industry episode 91 and 92 bill owen of rep arena very good one uh that was one that just sort of come out of the blue and i got to thinking one day with all this going on at rep arena it'd be neat if somebody sort of talked directly unfiltered to the public and uh, bill's been a longtime friend of mine for Gosh, over 40 years, we met when I first came to Lexington in, in the 70s. And uh, he talks about the renovation of RUP. He talks about the his historical importance of RUP being downtown. He gives us some figures that 
sort of startle us a little bit about the number of no-shows at games in the last several years. He gave us the average attendance over the past 10 years that were actually scanned. In other words, could show you how many was actually in the seats. He talks about the future of RUP. It talks about uh, they're getting ready to host another regional here as soon as this renovation's done. But uh, overall, he, he gives a good take, and he also wonders about what the next step will be in RUP that when the current new 15-year uh, lease is up, uh, four to five years before the end of the lease, there's going to be some major decisions that has to be made because RUP will be over 50 years old. And... Uh, it's going to be interesting to see just what transpire. Will UK want to rejoin and re-up something downtown? Will they want to bring it on campus? You know, he poses those questions. He doesn't really suggest any answers. He just said what it's going to face. But it's very enlightening. You need to listen because he tells you about what to expect and not to expect in the next two years. He definitely gives the fans uh, things to think about in the future. Episode 93, the youngest player – that you interviewed, your youngest guest, Twenty Beckham. The story of living one day at a time. From, I would say, the silent one of the John Calipari era. Uh, people wondered how he ended up at Kentucky as a transfer from Mississippi State. Most people had no idea of the injuries and the health issues he had had since his high school days. How he went to a prep school one year, how Rick Stansbury found him, taking the Starkville, how he wound up at Kentucky, and what he's doing today. Uh, a good human interest story of what an individual can do if he stays focused on the positive side of life and not the negative side, and how you never, ever give up. Episodes 94 and 95, and wow, what a what a fun individual. What a fun interview. Super Kitten, Kevin Greavy. Super Kitten, Kevin Greavy. That crew come in, didn't lose a game the freshman year, which was Adolph Rupp's last year. And some of them practiced with the freshman and the varsity. Two that came to mind, I think, was Kevin Greavy and Jimmy Dan Connor. And uh, sometimes they uh, – would beat the varsity, or at least they would have them down, and Rupp would call some new managers in to finish the calling the rest of the scrimmage. And as soon as the varsity got ahead, they rung the bell. And if they didn't get ahead, they kept playing. But uh, came along at a, at a time that Joe B. really needed them their freshman year. They did not play. Their sophomore year with Jim Andrews in the middle, they won the title, got into the tournament, their junior year, one of up to that time, one of only two non-winning seasons in Kentucky history, 13-13. And so they're coming back for their senior year. And, boy, if, if they don't do it then, they don't get it done. They have that great senior year, go to Final Four, use this UCLA. But along with the Gibbons and Lee and Phillips and Roby, and you had – Guyette, Jimmy Dan, Greavy, Mike Flynn. What a crew. His story with his interaction with John Wooden will always stick out with me. You want to talk about an entertaining story from Kevin Greavy? That was it. Kevin's good at telling stories. Yeah. Really good. And, uh, you know, he'll go down in history as one of the all-time greats. And he was just so smooth and he had that little sweet left-handed jumper that he and Gibbons saw, were sort of alike on. Uh, Scouts today had a restaurant in um, Washington, just outskirts of Washington for about 25 years. And UK fans would always just pile in their own game day. But Kevin's a great guy. Episode 96, if you ever thought that the Committee of 101 just stood around looking good in their blue blazers and handed you programs, you are mistaken. Episode 96, Danny Moore of the Committee of 101. Yeah, Danny, Danny gives us insight into the committee like I've never seen from anyone before, and most people don't go do stories on the Committee 101. And 
to know the history of them and how he was able to bring it up to date and what they do and how they do it. You know, every school in the country say, boy, we wish we had an organization like that. And the thing that they do is most of those guys are 50-ish and up. And they're such ambassadors when people come to games where it's football, basketball, baseball. And they welcome people and they make them feel so welcome. It's a kind of stuff that you don't get if you're paying a paid usher from Andy Fram, like, you go this way, you go that way, you can't do this. Well, they ask them how they're feeling. And so many of these one-on-one people know so many fans by their first name and vice versa. They're a very, very special group, and I salute them every change I get. And if you went to Rupp Arena and you did not see 101 there, it, it wouldn't be right. It wouldn't be. It would not be right. Episode 97 featured Al Robinson. Al's a, new, a unique guy. Known him for several years. Lives here in town, a big U.K. fan. He uh, His first notoriety after his playing days was when he would have a battery of recorders in his home. And during the Rick Patino era, he would record 15, 16 games a night that they could use for scouting purposes. So the university finally bought him these recorders, and he had them rigged up in a big room. It's like Mission Impossible, you know. And he recorded There's probably nobody sees more practices on a daily basis than, than Al does. And he gives us a real good perspective about this team this year and what they're going through and how things are similar or different from the days when he played in the 60s. Good, strong uh, just general observation and little things that goes on in college basketball that you wouldn't dream of. Episode 98, the manager of the 1978 National Championship team, George Fletcher. Oh, George, Breath County boy. Uh, comes from the mountains. Uh, he came here at the height of Joe B. really embracing the state of the Wildcats until Joe B. came along in the uh, early 70s. You never saw the team as a team outside Fayette County unless it was Freedom Hall in Louisville. And Joe B. started playing the blue-white games, uh, usually three a year at that time, one in eastern Kentucky, one in either northern or southern Kentucky, and one in western Kentucky, and took it to the fans. And George marvels, as he was manager, what that meant to the fans to go into communities, to sign autographs, to get stopped at a gas station, uh, how the one lady come up to him and said, is this a basketball that the players play with? And he said, yeah. And she said, can I just touch it? Stories like that. Uh, George George was a, a great basketball enthusiast and was one of the kind of guys you'd want to be your team manager. Episode 99 and 100, the final two Episodes of Conversations with Oscar Combs, Reggie Warford. Very difficult. It's heartbreaking to see a person like Reggie Warford have to experience the pain and the suffering that he has suffered in the last 15 to 20 years. Came here... Uh, to be a pioneer, came here after Joe B. Hall took over as coach. There had only been one African-American player recruited to Kentucky. There were a couple walk-ons from football, but only one recruited at Kentucky until he was recruited, and that was Tom Payne. And Joe B. had told me several times that when he took over that Times were changing, and to put your best team on the floor, African-Americans would be part of it, and ultimately leaders. And it was proven to be true. He said, but for me to do it, I'm going to have to do it right. And I don't know where I should say this or not, because I'm not saying it was in complete confidence, but I don't want it to be taken out of line either, but he was saying, when I bring the next one in, our program can't afford 
to have another situation that happened with our first one, Tom Payne. So three things the next African-American basketball Kentucky has to be, in my opinion, in my scheme. Number one, he has to have the ability to play the game. He cannot be a token member of this club. He can't be a token walk-on. He's got to be able to compete with talent to play the game. Number two, he has to have great character. And number three, I want to start it out with a Kentucky-produced player. The name was Reggie Warford. He was the first recruited African-American player to graduate from UK. On these two episodes, he tells you his story. I'll leave it at that. Godspeed, Reggie Warford. To all of you out there who've listened to these 101 podcasts, I want to say sincerely thank you from the bottom of my heart. It's been such a joy and pleasure to hear these former athletes and coaches tell their stories in their own words. I hope you cherish them. If you ever run in or bump into any of them or their families, tell them thanks and tell them what it's meant to you and your life. And Bo, as always, you say, go Big Blue.